Hello, welcome to a special podcast that I like to call Roman Lives. <laughs> this month is the month of August, named after the Emperor Caesar Augustus, who was the first emperor of Rome. <laughs> this man was a very interesting man, as he would have many names and titles in his life. Yes, perhaps too many. <laughs> well, we can get into that. He was born Gaius Octavius. In his early days, he would be known by his informal title of Thurius. Hmm. He would later be known as Gaius Julius Caesar Octavianus through his ad- adoption by the late Julius Caesar. Right. He would earn the title Triumvir of Rome through his victories of war and the threat of the sword. Mm-hmm. In, in peace and false humility, he would earn the modest title of first citizen of the Roman Republic. I.e. Come- Princeps. Princep, yes. He would come to be known as Caesar Augustus, or Caesar the Revered One, by the Roman populace. Augustus was so adored by the ruling class and people, the month of August was named after him, and he would be posthumously worshipped as a god as great as the king god Jupiter. That's such a big... But what's the real story? And how did this happen? Because when he was born... No one, absolutely yeah. no one, especially his parents and even Julius Caesar, could never have guessed that was in this kid's future. Right. This kid was the ultimate underdog. Maybe not so underdog, and we can get into well, it. Well, actually, right, it's, no, no, it's, I, it's let the, me rephrase that. Underdog is, the, underdog is the wrong term. This is the most... This is the most jaw-dropping, quite frankly, a bit unfathomable for right. rises in political power. Right. And he should have been. He should have been a historical footnote at best. <laughs> but seriously. he wasn't. But but ser- no, seriously, like like I want I want everybody who's listening to this. I want you to really wrap your head around that. And that's what he this is- episode. Right. This is going to be the first part of a – we don't know how long. Uh, the Life of Caesar podcast devoted over 50 episodes to examining the life of Caesar Augustus. I don't think we're going to do quite that much. Right. We're not going to go that much. <laughs> but we're, we're going to go in-depth in, in examining the life and impact of Caesar Augustus. Now, we are going to do a separate series called Civil Wars where we're going to more cover the downfall of the Roman Republic. But – we're going to go to to the, the more exciting Caesar Augustus, and in this series, we're going to cover all his life, whereas in Civil Wars, we're going to end when he becomes emperor. And also, let's let's point out the fact he survived not one, but three diff- separate civil wars. <laughs> well, let's get into that, and that's a perfect thing for to set off. Um, also, just as a as a major note, um, my main source that I, I go to for my notes is... Adrian Goldsworthy's wonderful Augustus, the first emperor of Rome. It's a phenomenal mm-hmm. book. I recommend it to everyone. Also, the history of Rome is, of course, the source that we go off of. Right. Mike Duncan's wonderful podcast. Check it out. And uh, many other podcasts and other books uh, I've gone to for covering this mm-hmm. man. And so, although we're both amateurs, we're not right. professional historians at all. We're, we're passionate. We're passionate for history. We have a great passion for history. Yes. Doesn't mean we make any money off of it. <laughs> so, in order to understand about Augustus, 
you really need to understand which Evan was talking about where he was born or, and really the time he was born. Right. Because on the surface, when you, when you think of Augustus and what we've said of this, this unprecedented, um, astonishing rise to be the ruler of the world, essentially at this yeah. time, but how did that happen and why did that happen? Right. And a lot of people somewhat, naively or just misunderstandingly think of the world that that augustus was born into and transformed was this really stable nice republic that is kind of like america's republican system or the or the british um parliamentary system just a stable democratic republic right it wasn't that it It was was not. not that at all and basically and we'll cover this. We we cover this in civil wars, but the super condensed version. I'll, and um, help me out, Evan, for for the yeah. way I put this. But basically, to go over seven six hundred years of Roman history in in two minutes, basically after Rome, this once little Italian city state, suddenly decided to become a republic and get rid of their king for their little city state. Right. Then they quickly, uh, they quickly uh, I believe the phrase is ballooned. Yes. Into the into a the largest empire in the world, save maybe save maybe for their rivals in the east. Yes. And to put it to put it bluntly, the republic by the time even Octavian was born, not even when he was going to rise to power, but when he was born, was completely and utterly. Rotten, corrupt, and broken. Yes. Now let's get into that. Put, and that's going to get, get into put, my put notes and some of the first things. And that's very important. I love you saying that. That's perfect way of putting it. Yeah. Is okay. So now I think we should note a lot of people, naysayers of Augustus or those that try to trivialize Augustus and dismiss the great man theory, mm-hmm. which I understand why they do want to do that. Of course. Of course. Is, um, is like the society more than than individuals shape the world, right. and that's mm-hmm. true sometimes and not true other times. And you can really make a case, and which civil wars is going to be a very compelling case. You can make the that it really is the times that that Octavian right. is is a part of that make him be able to rise to right. the point that he is. You would, uh, by my fair assumption, even a hundred years before he was born, he would probably not have been able to rise to power. Yes. At least not to the to the level that he was again, because by this point, when was he when was he born again? I can't remember. Well, I'll give you a great story that puts up the context. Okay, uh, let's chime let's in as well. It. So, okay, but here but here's some the context that people need to understand, and we're gonna this episode, by the way, is just all about the the life. This is the world. This is the world really that that little Gaius Octavius was born into. And mm-hmm. formed the, his his world. Um, but what I meant by 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 citing just the the, the time you were lived in, I, I always maintain though that that it ultimately is irrelevant in in that kind of speculation of well what would you have been like if you were born in a different time? Well, you weren't born in a different time. You were right. born in when you were born. born. You would have been a different man. You just would have been a yeah. very different man. Yeah. I mean that's a wonderful for speculation and for writing, yes, and and being creative. But it's no uh, Octavian was born when he was born, and he rose. Yes, because of the times he lived in, but he also rose because of his character. Those are right. two very important things. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's important. But no, okay, so getting to the time that Octavian is born is actually one of the best contexts for, for everything that's about to transpire. But yeah. I'll give you just a tiny bit of context. Is the Rome Gaius Octavius was born into was a land plagued by war. Yeah. Only 20 years before, there had been a period of mass executions where the competing warlords, Ma- Marius and Sulla, had executed over 3,000 people without trial, and thousands more would die in war. And these are, these are, by the way, these people that they executed, these are political prisoners. These were senators, quaestors, rich people. These were... These were and quaestors, the, were, by the way, are, were the upper middle class that were right, of the, the, the Roman society. The, the equites. Think of them as the think of them as uh, the roughly the equivalent of what we would call the knight status. So they were they were your rich people or your or your upper middle class. Upper middle class. I'd call them. They, they also were distinctly remembered, uh, rightfully so, as the new rich. Yes, homo homo novus, as they were mm-hmm. called. Yes. So, and Marius and Sulla forever ruined both of their reputations or forever tarnished their reputations by summarily executing them in their civil wars against each other. Yeah. It seems kind of redundant. I shouldn't say that in their civil war. Okay. The point, the the point being is that this was a, this was a mass, this was political change that no one in Rome had ever seen before. This was something completely unprecedented. Yes, and honestly, uh, when we cover in civil wars, but the wars between Marius and Sulla really are, in my book, and this is Mike Duncan's central thesis in The Storm Before the Storm, which I concur with, is basically it was impossible for the Roman Republic to ever return after Sulla Sulla came in and sacked Rome. And and to put it in in perspective, if it it was uh, in America, picture a second civil war. But the, either the South or the North, whatever, marched on Washington. The, a leader marched on Washington D.C., seized the Capitol, declared themselves as president, and began purging political rivals. That's actually a great metaphor. I like that. Picture, but, picture something like that, which it I mean, is, I know, it's, it's yes. a bit unfathomable to our eyes, but that's how bad it was, and that's yes. that's how unprecedented. Absolutely, yes. So. But then, okay, so that was 20 years ago before Octavian is born. I'm thinking, well, that was 20 years ago, right? Well, well, well but 10 years right. later, right. 10 the, years later. The, the Romans had, had their greatest nightmare ever happen, which is a fun story that we all love, which is that this a slave by the name of Spartacus amassed mm-hmm. a motley crew of, of ex-gladiators and field slaves and began a three-year civil war. Yeah. Spartacus only ha- had had secondhand weapons, right. and yet he managed to instill fear in the greatest superpower in the world. He defeated no less than nine officially sanctioned Roman commanders, some of them consuls, which are the equivalent Con- of a president. Well, yes. The biggest feather in his cap was defeating consular legions. The only other general who had done that was Hannibal. Mm-hmm. And Hannibal had a well-trained army. Right. So, see our civil wars when we'll, we'll talk about Spartacus and all that. Well, the biggest, Suffice the biggest to say, thing- though, the, the Romans did win, unfortunately. And 
But there were two that I'd like to chime in a little bit for that. There were two major aspects of that war that, which which is funny because Spartacus has this reputation for being, oh, he was a liberator of slaves. Well, the funny thing was, is that, yes, the slaves were treated a bit better, but really not much actually changed for the slaves. Now, what changed for Italy and Rome? Big time. Two major events happened uh, after Spartacus's rebellion that changed everything. One, it actually forced Italy to have a standing army in Italy. That had actually never happened before. That's a great um, point, my friend. That, had, that, that was unprecedented because, because as far as everyone knew, Italy was under no threat. There was, there was no threat. Well, Spartacus proved that they were very, very wrong. <laughs> there was this giant population that they treated as cattle that was actually could be a major threat. Right. And then the second is the bringing together of three incredible men. And I'll let, yes, you, I'll, and, I'll let you tell who they are. Well, th- yes, actually, that's a good point. But I, we're not going to talk about that man and the three men just yet, I think. Just Let's yet. save that just because, th- I, again, I, I'm, I'm delaying, but I'm getting to it. The story right. of so so that was ten years ago. Spartacus Rebellion was ten. The Spartacus Wars were in the in the 70s uh, BC era. Right. So in right. the 60s BC era is when is when our our great hero of the story hero though I I use in quotes that's just shorthand. <laughs> protagonist. Our protagonist. Our protagonist is born, young Gaius Octavius. Now, when the year Gaius Octavius was born. Another looming crisis was happening, and there was a potential another civil war. And this is just fantastic. This is something that where you just can't make up. It's like when you think about this of 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 what Octavian's major feather in his cap of ending the mm-hmm. civil wars. He was literally born on a year where there was a, about to be a civil war. Yes. So <laughs> that's kind of funny, I think, in a, in a strange right. dark kind of way. So. The senator that was causing a ruckus was named Catiline. Mm-hmm. That wasn't his real name, but that was what people knew him as. It's what people called him. Yeah. And what history knows him as. Catiline was disgruntled at having lost his chance at political office. He also feared the threat of his creditors. Mm-hmm. So, using his talent for oratory with the common people he amassed enough support to rally a small army to prepare to invade Rome. Catiline, though consistently popular among the people, was no ideologue. Even even his greatest apologists and revisionists concede that the man rebelled purely out of Mm self-interest. It wasn't like he, he, he was no Tiberius or Gaius Gracchus, he wasn't even a Marius or Sulla who at least had some vague ideology right. behind them. It was all just, oh, crap, I'm about to lose a job and I'm in threat for my creditors. Right. OK, then going to risk it all and try to march on Rome with yeah. an army. That's all it was. Later, the, the during the imperial era, there was a figure that's kind of similar to that, but it's kind of a different situation when it's that. Very much so. So, but but that's where Rome is at this point. No ideal. I'm I'm kind of spoiling the finale, but let's get, keep that in mind. So this is what what Catiline is. He is no ideologue, and he's just 
rebelling for pure, petty, spiteful reasons. Yeah. In the mix of this, to face off against Catiline, is one of the most intriguing and fascinating men of Roman history. Mm-hmm. Marcus Tullius Cicero. Mm-hmm. One of the greatest orators of all time. Thank you, Evan. Yes, he was. He was one of the greatest orators of, of Roman history. He was a brilliant writer, and he was the hero of the American founding fathers. They all adored him and looked to his writings and teachings mm-hmm. an example. And that is one of the reasons why so many roads and places and buildings are named after Cicero in America. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cicero was had a keen mind for politics, and he was consul during the year that Catiline tried to rebel. Spoiler alert. <laughs> he, was, he also is very fascinating because he was a true moderate between the extremist factions of the reformist populares and the conservative optimates. Yes. He was the ultimate, he was the ultimate middleman and pragmatist. I would say not necessarily middleman because that implies like you know bureaucracy. Sorry, that's uh, sorry, that's the, that's the wrong but, word. But, but I know what you meant by that. But like pragmatist, I think is spot on. That right. encapsulates Cicero. He was mm-hmm. always the pragmatist. Right. The way I would describe Cicero personally is is a pragmatic idealist. Yes. He had principles. He definitely had principles, mm-hmm. but he also. Had always had his eyes open. Right. He was willing. He was he was always willing to bend the rules if necessary. He never broke them if he could, but he always but he was willing to bend if stability won. And that's going to be actually important, Evan. Right. Right. That's going to be what, important. What I say. So, and this is honestly Cicero's most important moment politically and historically for Rome, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Even though we, we we more analyze and are fascinated by later periods in Cicero's life. Cicero appears to have discovered the conspiracy of, of Catiline in its nascence and quickly had Catiline's senatorial allies arrested. <laughs> the Senate debated summarily executing the men per Cicero's suggestion. Right. One brave man rose in opposition. In perhaps contrast to the character of his later actions, or as I was thinking earlier about this before we recorded, it might actually have been more instructional to this man for yes. what transpired. Yes. In Talk terms about... of like that, 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 oh, I guess the idealism is off the table. Right. This brave man was, was Gaius Julius Caesar. Julius mm-hmm. Caesar. He spoke passionately and argued that the men needed to be tried before being executed. The speech was moving some people, but then Caesar's greatest foe, Cato right. the Younger, a staunch tradition- traditionalist to the point of stubborn petulance, gave a yeah. brutal rebuttal. Cato's arguments won the day, and the men were executed under the official command of Cicero, who was serving as consul. The conspirators were rounded up, and Catiline was abandoned by his allies. Catiline committed suicide, with some fearing that they had lost a champion to their cause. <laughs> they did. Sincerely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It seemed 
to some, and certainly Cicero, that the system of the Republic was functional and could work without any radical reforms. Uh-huh. But when you actually look at the story and right. what what transpired, it's pretty clear that Rome was on incredibly slippery ground at this point. Right. This is this isn't this and is this is, thin, this is thin ice with glass under it. <laughs> and this is the Rome that Octavian was born into. Right. War was a like there was about to be a war that mm-hmm. was brought on purely by self-interest. Right. No ideolo- no ideology, no principle, purely right. self-interest. And war was avoided. It was avoided to their, their credit. It yes. was avoided. But it was avoided when when all these men that are, are today celebrated for their principles and their ideals right. all abandoned their supposed ideals for this higher cause. Right. For this for the sake of this. So so to really simplify it, a man is rebelling because he got stiffed from a job. <laughs> he it almost works and the government has to execute him for the sake of stability. The government breaks the law just so that the government can exist. Right. That's imagine that. Story. Yeah. Like really imagine that for a moment. Um, imagine the le- that level of corruption. Corruption or just loose morality, the the fluid well, again, interpretation. Like we said, law, like we said, it's the, just like that. That is the Rome that that is existing right now. Right. That the, is what the Senate Rome, has become, and that is what the situation is. The Rome that Octavian is born into is so broken that it literally has to break law after law just to keep some semblance of functionality. Now, for Cicero, that's acceptable because, like I said, right. a pragmatic idealist of just like, no, the Republic needs to survive no matter what. So right. if I have to do some no-no things, okay. Right. Well, and the thing, that, the thing to understand by this point also is, is that once, once a democracy becomes shattered like that, it's almost impossible to get it back. And one of the reasons why is for those exact reasons. What's going to stop the next bloke, which, let's be honest, that's just kind of what happens. What's going to stop the next bloke who's been slighted gathering his army? Mm-hmm. And that's kind of a spoiler for what does happen. And anyone who knows their history is, is about to put two and two together. What's going to happen in less than 15 years? Yes. Just a simple analogy I'll use. Just You can't put the genie back in the bottle. It's no, already been out. You, you can't. Right. You've kind of already exposed. I mean, well, but that's what the importance of, of, of the Marius Sulla civil war was that it kind right. of exposed how how just like oh these laws are just are just a social right. construct. We don't actually have to obey them. Right. And also also to to shift let's let's to, to play the other side for a moment. Let's mm-hmm. be aware that Marius Sulla Catiline yes they were in the wrong. However. A lot of progress was halted by men like Cato. Yes, absolutely. Who these by, who, these men who just refused to concede anything, and right. I mean anything. Yes, it's, it's, we're, we're not, it's, it's, we're not we're, kidding. 
we're not saying like it's like like I wanted a a fifty percent tax cut and they only agreed to thirty five. I want that extra fifteen. It's like no 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 no. It's like there's gonna be no tax cuts. Period. In right. fact, there will be a tax hike. It's right. Like, what? So, wait, what's going on? And then the other part, and the other part is to kind of criticize the conservatives. The other problem was is that because Italy had ballooned to incorporate not just the Italian peninsula, you got to, by this time you have territories in Greece, Spain, modern day Turkey, North Africa, all the islands in the Mediterranean. It even has a, it, it even actually has a uh, a foothold unofficially, but on. But in practice, it actually controls Egypt. But the problem yes. is, is that the only people who are running this republic are people from Italy. Many of them have absolutely no clue what life is like outside of the Italian peninsula. And, and part so, of this problem really is because of the fact that they're – and what, for better or worse, yes, Octavian will, will answer, right. is that – is that unfortunately the Roman Republic really is not designed to handle something like that. It's no. it's a, it's the, it's it's a republic. The system is is more or less designed for a city state. Right. And it's so the power is wonderfully set up to be so temporary. Yes. That it that that it just cannot permit right. consistency of administration right and one of the well, now, and, and the, theoretically there, there were ways where, where if the senate was this strong more or less consistent real politique body right. if, maybe if the, but but i still think and this is maybe just because of the of what i've grown up with but there needs mm-hmm. to be some sort of just consistent administrative chief executive or just like right. consistency in right. in overall direction of the government right and and we should we should actually explain a little bit about the roman government for a moment and one of the one of the key aspects as you were saying is that everything all the power was meant to be temporary and to put that in perspective every single year there had to be new consuls usually by um by law by the way but this was by law the, yes by, by law, law. And they were also there. There were two consuls. It was always right. a, 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 a. I'm looking for the fancy a, way of saying it, but just like a yeah, there's this. always a checks and balances. Always, yes. Rome, Rome was built on checks and balances. Now the problem with checks and balances is that checks and balances, when the government is when the government and the state is. Um, uh, what, what's the word for standing? It's not standing still. When 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 the when the government is not really doing anything, when it's not, it doesn't evolve well. That's the problem. That's the I think problem. I understand what you're getting at. Is that unfortunately though, what what, we, what I alluded to earlier, and what we're touching on is basically that unfortunately because like the system of government works pretty f- fine when it's basically just a city state. Right. As it's expanding, and to be fair, it worked still fairly well for quite a few centuries as they were doing this right. massive like series of conquests and expansion and expansion and conquest. Right. But it just became more and more impossible, and this is what all the things we're gonna we cover in civil wars. 
right. is that it just becomes more and more, quite frankly, unfeasible. Right. You can't, to, to have you this kind have, of you ever cannot free. You have 600, 600 Italians run the Mediterranean. It is without any outside knowledge. It is completely impractical. But the problem was is that a lot of these Italians, a lot of these rich people, all these senators and stuff, were either making a bucket load of money and were living a life of luxury from all the spoils of war that came with those conquests as the Republic bloomed. So, And unfortunately, you, the, the, the problem also becomes, not to get too Marxist, but it's just the, the, the quite frankly, the reality is that unfortunately, though, the spoils of war means slavery, and that means yeah. that it's displacing the working class because suddenly right. they have free labor, free in mm -hmm. quotes, of right. slavery. Right. And so picture, suddenly you have this – To put it in you, modern terms, picture all of your jobs – picture all of your manual jobs being done by machines. That's the best – that is darkly the best way to describe it. It's tragic. Yes, because they weren't humane. Right. No. Exactly. Um. So. And the other. So and the other thing too. And the problem is, is that with all this influx of wealth, who gets the influx wealth? of wealth, but only felt by the one percent. Right. But only held by the one percent. And then one of the problem. And one of the other problems that uh, this is actually. But this was actually semi-fixed. But by this time, it was still kind of a problem. Because it was so new, was the soldier class. Now, the way Rome's yes. soldiers worked before Marius, and, we'll, and I'll talk about that in a moment, the way that Rome's soldiers worked was that it was it was essentially a kind of a professional militia. You, mm -hmm. if, you were, if you were, you had to have your own, uh, uh, you had a land requirement because you had to be able to have your own equipment. Now, before, I would even say before, maybe 50 years before uh, Octavian is born, it was a mark of honor that, hey, I might not be rich, but I can afford to pay for my own. I can afford to, to pay for the defense of Rome. Now, that's fine. But you being a, being a farmer, you can only be gone from your, from your home for maybe at most six months. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, is that Rome, when Rome started to expand, they weren't going on campaign for six months. They're going on nope. campaign for three, four, five, sometimes as long as 10 years. Absolutely. And the problem is you technically aren't getting paid for that. You're just – you're collecting the boot, uh, any booty that you can find and bring it back. Well, the problem is you leave a, you leave a place unattended for three, three or four years, and it's nothing. Mm -hmm. So, so you've, got, you've got nothing. Now, this, was, this problem was – Solved is not is too strong of a word. It was uh, addressed in probably the only way possible by our guy Gaius Marius. What does he do? He says the state is going to pay you to be a soldier, but now it relies. Now you have a system that relies completely on volunteer soldiers, and the person who has to pay them is not just the is not just the government, but the general. Well, that's what it becomes more and more alarming is it becomes right. more and more. And that's really from Marius. And I, I, I'll a tiny bit disagree with you only in as much as that it's really no that like Marius introduces the idea that no, it's not just that that you will you like Rome will pay you, but I will pay your. Right. I will pay you. I will get you farmland. 
So, and basically the big incentive that's still around to this day is you join the military, the military will take care of you. Exactly. Exactly. And And so suddenly there's an incentive, but suddenly, and this is what happens and what causes the civil wars, quite frankly, is that suddenly you're not loyal anymore to Rome. Right. You're loyal to your general. Because he's the one who's controlling your paycheck, essentially. Not essentially, but pretty much is. Right. He's, he's controlling your he's controlling your paycheck. And the problem is, is that all these all these rich senators and conservatives want to still want to reap the benefits. But they themselves either. Let's be honest. Most of them lack the skill to be good generals and <laughs> they they're they don't want to do it. They just plain don't want to. They don't want to be generals. They want to sit back in their estates and live the good life. Yeah. Well. So this is all like a major issue that right. major figures have been trying to solve at, with varying solutions and varying success. And right. more and more, the, the resistance to any type of reform is met with this this rigid conservative faction mm-hmm. that becomes more and more rigid and more and more right. drag their heels they do right. get one big up upswing when when Sulla is part of their their side. Right. Although how he helps that side also really doesn't do them too much favors. Well, so <laughs> honestly, but, the, but, but, but one of the points we want to but one of the points we want to make here, and this is very is why it's important, is you get, is that look at all these issues that's happening with the Republic. The Republic is is strained to the core. And the problem is that no one really has a solution mm-hmm. that will please everybody. Something because is rotten in the state of Denmark. What was that? Something is rotten in the state of Denmark. Right. Something, is, something is rotten in the state of Denmark. And the problem is, is that by this time, tempers have kind of boiled over. It's mm-hmm. just going to take someone smart enough, ambitious enough, or ruthless enough to take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And this is where this is ultimately the sort of both genius and and power powerful nature of Augustus is really cultivated. Yes. So the actual formative years of Octavian are lost or perhaps just, you know, unremarkable enough for chronicling. Right. He, right. he, did, he didn't really have an exciting childhood. I mean, yeah. He, he, well, he was, yeah, he, he was a kid. He was a kid. Right. He was just a, the, 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 There are lots of stories of Augustus's childhood, but they are all obviously propaganda. Yes. That's the other so, thing, so, too. Is that, right. So he was born, he was born in, uh, in 63 B.C. So... Mm-hmm. And to put it in perspective, approximately five years before Julius Caesar begins his war in Gaul. Well, that's going to be something we talk about, buddy. Right. Well, but... that 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 somewhat spoiler alert, that is a that is a bigger game changer than you than most give it credit for. Well, we're we're about to talk about that, but first, just a little bit about the family. Mm-hmm. Yes. His Octavian's family was unremarkable by Roman standards. Uh, yes. 
he also was, and this is something that's kind of important for for some snubby, snobby <laughs> Romans. He wasn't of descended from the Roman tribe. Yes. At least from his from his father, he was an Italian, just like right. Marius. Right. He was that, not. Uh, I want to make one quick. I want to make one quick distinction on that for for a moment. Where, mm-hmm. uh, by the way, it wasn't until literally about less than thirty years before. Uh, before uh, Augustus was born, that it was mandated that all Italians finally became yes. Roman. So, so, so put that in perspective. <laughs> imagine, imagine this. Imagine this. Because, like, let me explain so that people understand. Go ahead. Is that Rome prided itself as this city-state that ruled the world, basically, right. and they just couldn't fathom the idea of sharing their privileges and rights with anyone else. Right. And there would be constant fighting about this. Picture. And like the ones where it's just like, it's the most like kind of like egregious, like, what are you talking about? It's one thing when, when, when they don't want to give these privileges to the Greeks, they conquered. Right. Which is like, when okay, they rely on the Italians mm-hmm. for centuries and it's, and at first, to be fair to the Italians, it was just like the net gains of not being a citizen versus being a citizen were firmly on not being a citizen. Yes. But slowly, the scales had very much tipped to the other side. Right. And so it got to that point where it's like, now, no, I do need to be a citizen. I need all these privileges. Right. Like, um, come on. We've done so much for you guys. We're all really, we're all like, really, this is an Italian empire. This is not right. a roman empire to, to, so, to put it in to put it in american perspective we're going to do this a lot so to put it in american perspective uh picture take out the word american put in washington <laughs> washington dc now let's make let's make it that say it was the early 1970s everyone was still called everyone had their own states you there were californians there were yeah uh, there were new yorkers and stuff like that no one was called American or Washington at all. Yeah. It was only until then they said, okay, yes, all of you are now are now Roman or American. Yeah. And this is after, what, three centuries, four centuries? Yeah, of fighting at least. Together and and uh, fighting both against each other and with each other yes. against foreign powers. Yes. So to put so to put it in perspective. Augustus to them was still very much kind of a new kind of new blood. And absolutely. And that also goes into the story of his father. Yes. So so his father was a social climber. He was born of the upper middle class society of the equestrians. Right. He was a rare man that was considered honorable and respectable. And he earned the admiration of Cicero in one of the orator's letters. Oh, well done. Octavius was moving up the political ladder known as the Cursus Honorum. Right. He got a real big lucky break when he did what many up-and-comers do of marrying into a rich, prestigious family. Yes. This young upstart Novos Homo got to marry Atia... I think... I forget what her her other name was. But she, she was... Oh, actually, what am I saying? It's Atia. That's who she right. was. Atia was was officially part of the Adian family, but 
her big claim to fame was that she was the niece of Julius Caesar. Right. She was a member of the Julii clan. And that that Julii clan can, via propaganda legend, could trace itself all the way back to the founding, not just of Rome, but of its founder, Aeneas. Yes. So the bluest of blue bloods. Right. Now, not he didn't marry a Julia, but he married someone related to a Julia. Right. She wasn't a pure Julia. But that's still incredibly big feather in his cap. Right. And so by marrying her, he got the prestige. He was he had been accepted into the senatorial class. Right. And he and he was making a name for himself. One of the reasons how he did, he was elected praetor and was sent to Thuria to expel the, believe it or not, I kid you not, Evan, to expel the last remnants of Spartacus's followers. Well done. This this little contingent of Spartacus's followers had managed to survive some 10 years after the rebellion and were still a scourge on Italy. Yes. Wow. Little known story. This I did not know. This I did not know. That is impressive. And it was Octavius's father, Octavian, Augustus's father, who was sent to deal them out with them and expel wow. them. And he did. For this, he was dubbed informally, not formally, as Thurius, which his son, quote unquote, inherited, as was the Roman right. tradition. Thurius, conqueror of Thuria, theoretically. Right. He didn't really conquer Thuria, and so that's why it it wasn't officially declared. And he defeated slaves, and so you're not supposed to take big credit for defeating slaves. We're looking at at you, Pompey the Great. (laughs) But the point was he did that, and so Octavius was was planning to run for consul, Mm -hmm. but that year, unfortunately, he died. Sad. He was a social climber. He seemed to be have a prospective, a promising future, and then he died. And by the way, how much, uh, how much of a, of his son reflected his father? In many ways, yes, and in many ways, no. And but no. this is all very fascinating because in some ways, Octavian is a prodigy, but in some ways he is a his father's son, but only right. But in ways that no one could ever imagine. Right. So. About Octavian's mother, one in one of the only major chronicles that isn't about how how she was impregnated by gods and all foretelling the. So let's let's take it. Let's take out that that propaganda. Is uh, is that most stories about her her the only stories portray her as a very moralistic woman and kind of actually some something of a bit of an overbearing mother. Right, very sadly, very different from the the entertaining but completely false uh, <laughs> portrayal of her character in the very famous uh, HBO series Rome, played yes. by the fantastic Polly Walker. Phenomenal. She was almost she was almost nothing like that. Yes, pretty right. much nothing in common with the the actual Atia, other than the name. Right. So, uh, so despite so, how despite how fun that character is, it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It, it, it does not exist in real life. It did not exist in real life. Yes. So, Atia remarried, had some more kids, 
And mm-hmm. if, if Octavian was not the grandnephew of of Julius Caesar, he might have just been kind of, again, what, what, what his father was, just slowly social climbing. Right. But because he was related to Julius Caesar, and also, to be frank, what, what we're going to cover is he was is that he was and julius caesar also conveniently for octavian Mm -hmm. didn't have a son right right that's a that that's a huge issue uh caesar only had one kid officially 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 and it was a daughter yes well okay i i see what you're saying by that and uh, yes yes well legitimate son more legitimate child at least legitimate child supposedly supposedly there's a little there's a little bastard out there uh we're gonna uh, talk about him we're gonna talk about him there is supposedly a little bastard out there that we'll we'll talk about but uh controversial Mm -hmm. at best you know i think that's actually a decent point where we can cut the story off for now i think so too i think so too um is that we we've we've pretty well established the the world that octavian is is born into and next week we're gonna do in one episode only mm-hmm. the story of his uncle and his relationship to his uncle right that that i think is the key the, is the, why, why is why his relationship to caesar is so important and setting the ground for this incredible story that's about to unfold right so see you th- see you then we bid you farewell farewell